Hi, everybody. Welcome along to episode 40 of Percussion Discussion. Hope you're all well and happy out there. Um, please check out our social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, of course, we have our YouTube channel. Um, please subscribe to this if you can. Be very grateful. And this ensures that you won't miss any of the interviews that we've already done and, of course, any of the uh, fabulous interviews we've got coming up. So that will be great. Uh, also, you can find the interviews in podcast form as well now you can find those on apple music and spotify so they're free to download listen whenever you want on the go on to today's guest this is uh this is a real treat for me a guy who rarely does interviews i think he's maybe done four or five in his long career um so fabulous I, i'm really looking forward to you seeing it uh, a gentleman you may not be aware of his name but trust me, you will have heard his playing. Uh, one of the most prolific session players in the 1980s. Um, he's played for everybody from Wham, Tina Turner, ABC, you name it. He's, he's done pretty much everything. Um, and for the last 30 odd years, he's been playing for the incredible Roger Waters. It gives me huge pleasure to welcome a lovely chap and an incredible drummer, Mr. Graham Broad. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Ah, good. You know, we we don't we don't see much. We've just been talking now. We don't see much of you uh, doing interviews on YouTube or anywhere. So this is this is a is a real great opportunity for me. It's appreciated. Yeah. No. Well, it's been a sort of strange time, hasn't it, with all the lockdown? You know, oh, <laughs> one last year as well. You know, so I've only done about four or five in in my whole time of being since 15 and a half professional. You know? <laughs> it's like crazy, isn't it? You know? So speaking of lockdown, obviously. It's, I always say this, it's a weird time for anyone involved in music or the arts. We're kind of um, non-essential, aren't we, at the moment, in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, have you been Have you been able to keep busy? Well, my cra crazy thing was, literally, just before lockdown, I did the, the, the O2 gig, which was in the house band with Eric Clapton. You know, hmm. we did Tom Jones, all load, load of guests, you know, and it was for the Marsden uh, charity, you yeah. know. Uh, so it was like a real high, you know. And then we were doing the elbows thing and joking about it, you know, like two days later, <laughs> lockdown. You know, it's like, but I mean, I, then I had a load of stuff. with I, I do stuff with an essay at the band called the SAS Band, which was with Spike Eddon, you know. Yeah. And that has a lot of guests again, you know, we did the thing. And we had a load of stuff coming up, you know, like about six or seven festivals immediately after that, you know. Obviously, they went down the pan, you know. So basically, really, all the live gigs just, as the same with everybody else, all the live gigs just disappeared, you know. But yeah. I mean, I'm really fortunate. I've got a studio, you know. So, I mean, this is my little control room, you know. And yeah. I've got two other really good rooms, you know. Lovely, like yeah. Room, light, you know, big live. And I've got sort of a more sort of funk, moaning kind of room, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's only for me. I mean, I don't like anybody else coming in. <laughs> it's just, you know, in fact, I have had pills, but my setup is so for me, yeah. you know, and it gets really confusing when other people are here, you know, sort of sure. thing. So, yeah, I've been doing some a few things, but there's not been a vast amount of stuff like with everybody, you know. Really? Um, just some stuff with John Parr and things like this, you know. Okay. Um, and a guy, a couple of guys in America, uh, just going just studio stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, Chris Bedding did some stuff with Chris Bedding, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's been about it, really. You know, it's been sort of quite quiet, which is really odd for me. You know. Yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, can you imagine? And I've said this to a lot of guys as well. Obviously, with the remote recording thing, which opens you up to to being able to play on tracks anywhere in the world with ease. Can you imagine yeah. if this had been? Even even 15 years ago, it would have been a nigh on impossible, wouldn't it, to do oh, anything? Yeah. I mean, it's a really funny thing, because uh, many years ago, there was a programme called Tomorrow's World. Mm. And basically, uh, it was to do with anything to into the future. And this was yeah. 1980. And we sat in a room and I did a session with George Duke, uh, sort of various different people. You know, Pina Palladino was in, but we were all in different countries, you know, right. and it was meant to see like the future, you know, but so we had to realistically do it, but it took for everything to be downloaded and think that took about a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> like, like now, I mean, I do stuff online and some people are listening to it at the other end. And then they're saying, no, I don't like that, you know, which is like really crazy, isn't it? You know, it really is nuts, isn't it? When you, th I mean, we're yeah. so lucky. I mean, obviously yeah. you've got it on a more grand scale there than most, but even, even in my, my little, you know, minimal room here, I can still, should I have to put a drum track together and send it to any, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. accessible for anyone now, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I had a thing with Bill Wyman actually, and he because uh, I worked with Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings, you sure. know. And he could not get the concept of it at all. So it was explained to him how it was going to be done. And I said, what I'm going to do is actually send um, the, uh, like just a MIDI file of all the stuff, you know. And I said, but eventually you, you will have all separate mics, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he, so the, he played it. So this guy sort of downloaded it for him and he, play, he played it and he said, I like that, but let's hear the bass drum on its own. And he said, I can't do the bass drum on, the, on its own. He's just sent an MP3. He said, well, how are you going to? How are we going to do it? He said he could send me a bass drum on his own. He said, "No, this is a guy." And he got like so, like he was so unmodern, you know, yeah. and he just couldn't really get to grips with it. Eventually, he did, you know, but it took a while to get him to understand, you know, sure. the concept of sitting in your room here and he's over over there, you know. There's a certain charm in that, though, isn't there? You know, somebody from from, from, from a bygone era, which had all the classic legendary sort of artists, you know, is like, yeah, no, used to stand in a room together playing, you know, and I, I like. Well, that. I mean, you know, with the with the Bill stuff, you know, to talk a bit about that was that, um, you know, when I first did stuff with them, it was formed forming the Rhythm Kings. It used to be called the Dirt Boys originally, but it got called the Rhythm Kings. Um, we'd go in and cut like about five songs a day, you know. Yeah. Uh, in a room all together, you know, yeah. and it was like, it was so alien to me because I kind of, in my session world in the 80s, I was just the only person ever in the room. So when I did like Tina Turner and ABC and all those things, I've got, you know, the band, part of the band of there, you sure. know, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm in the room on my own, you know, <laughs> I'm not even with a bass player and all these people, in fact, I had a thing with Pino Palladino that I, we hadn't ever met at all, but we all of a sudden met when I was going out to do this thing with Go West. And uh, we met on the plane and we sat, funny enough, almost nearly next to each other and we swapped seats with the people, you know, so we could have a chat. You know? So we had a chat and we were saying, you did, you played on such and such. Didn't you? So we sat and worked out that we had played on like 18 singles <laughs> and something like 20 albums together. And it's the first time I'd ever met him. And that's a bass player and drummer, you know. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Just and lovely. then obviously that was the year of, uh, you know, eventually separating everything up and, yeah. uh, you know, you play bass drum first and, you know, that was a hard time to work, get people to understand that side of it. You know, when you're sure. doing fills and you you haven't put the rest of the fill in, you know. So, yeah, it's quite adventurous, really, you know. So, so recording with the Rhythm Kings then, that must have been, I guess that was a great experience because everything would have had to been, you'd have had to get a good take. Everybody would have had to get a good take, I suppose. Yeah, that's as right. simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, there was no, no, with Bill, there was no dropping in. Yeah. You know, the, the, that take had to be good, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was one, 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 I, I, they, he'd got a track with Charlie on there, Charlie Watts, you know, and Charlie didn't actually finish the song, but the track was going that well that he didn't finish it, but then he finishes later, you know, it's nothing. <laughs> and he, so Bill decides that he wants to put me to put drums on it, you know. Right, sure. So what happened? And anyway, you know, and he said, well, basically he's got this whole thing of, you know, like everything has to be neat and tidy and leads must be straight, you know. And he said, he told the band beforehand, if this sort of, this, if, if he sort of has this little moment and the track's great, let's just, I will tell everybody, carry on, carry on like this, you know. So this sort of moment happened and Bill could see he was getting agitated about something, you know. And next minute, during the track, he'd put his drumsticks down come off the kit to pick up a, a, a bit of paper that was on the floor in front of him, put it in the bin, and then got back on the kit to finish the end. You know, <laughs> but I, I, the drums were so good before. I said, Bill, you've got to try and just chop it all up and get him in it, you know. Yeah. But he wouldn't. He said, I, you, I want you to put the drums on, you know. So you had to replace all his stuff, all his Yeah, all his... replace, yeah. Oh, that yeah. must have been a strange feeling doing that. Yeah. Well, the, oh. the funny thing was, was that um, when I first worked with Bill, because, I mean, I love Charlie's drumming, you know, mm. but when I first worked with Bill, he, he found certain things feeling that you were playing out of time, you know, and this went on and we had a key player called Dave Hartley, who's just a phenomenal player, you know, and um, he was beefing with with Bill all the time, saying, Daddy, his, his timing's like absolutely pristine, you know, and, and Bill didn't accept it, you know, so we redid these tracks two or three times, you know, to eventually then I got a phone call from Bill apologising and saying, do you know what, Gray, I'm really sorry. So I've just worked it out. 
spent 25 years, 30 years with, with Charlie. And he said, I realised that when he does a, coming into doing a fill, he speeds up, you know, and then he speeds back down again, you know, because he got kind of excited. And he said, but you're playing in time, you know. So he, he really had to adjust to my playing. Yeah. You know? But then, you know, once he loves that, he lo- he's really true kind of guy that's, we're not doing gigs without you. You know, that was the nightmare of doing Roger and then with Bill as well. So Bill would look at the tour and, you know, it was full on with Roger, you yeah. know, and uh, we'd look at, look at the gigs and he'd say, oh, look, I see you, you're coming back on the 22nd, you know. So we'd put another tour in, you know. Wow. So instead of having any time off, you'd come back and do these gigs, but you felt obliged to do that because they're all hanging around. Of course. You know, just because he wants to be with the drummer he loves, you know. So scheduling a tour around your other commitments—that's that's pretty. Yeah. That's a hell of a compliment, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. So you you have to do it, you know. Of course. You know? And it's great doing this. It's, it's great because you go from seventy-five thousand people a night, you know, uh, yeah. in some uh, some venues to you know two hundred, you know. But really? it's a great leveler. It's a really good leveler, you know. Um, just. Just amazing. Do you know what? As long as you've got someone to bring your drums in, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it's it's you know, even talking about this now must be must make you feel strange knowing what we've had for the last 12 months, you know, talking about all yeah. these great times and then at the moment, yeah. no live music at all. But it'll yeah. come it'll come back and it's just it's we're heading in the right direction, aren't we? You yeah. know? Yeah, it is. And um, it's just gonna be a long time that the touring around the world will be a long time that it will be i think you know yeah. because yeah. i mean you can't do the south american um, gigs at all now you know yeah sure. um i mean there's a lot of places you can't go to you know yeah. i mean it's hard enough with the brexit thing you know doing what's what's going to happen with europe you know darting around europe you know yeah yeah we've got a thing after next year and we're doing like sort of all different um what we're we doing about fi- what we're we doing 15 different european countries kind of thing yes. in one out of 15 gigs this is know? with roger yeah no, this is actually it's a it's to do with Roger, but it's a separate thing. It's to do, oh. it's a basically an anniversary thing, but he's not going to do it, right? Know? And he's putting the band. So it's with Dave Kilminster still from from Roger's band, um, possibly you know Dave um, John Caron plays in the band as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's all being put together now, you know. Yeah. But whether that goes off with what's going on, I'm not sure, you know. I think people are reluctant to do that type of thing at the minute, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think we're in Britain will be sort of leading the way in that, really. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a commitment to book anything in advance at the moment. With in the yeah. back of your mind, it's am I going to have to pull all this out again and start again? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. It's a huge, huge thing. But look, let's let's go. If you don't mind, Graham, let's go back to the beginning for you. Where, where did it all? Where did it all start? I don't know really? if I can remember that far back, Matty. <laughs> So, yeah, so dead, dead easy is that, you know, obviously I just bashed around on marmalade pop tops and saucepans. Sure. And it was my mum and dad and my granddad who used to play a bit of drums and banjo and all these sort of things that said, I think he's got some sort of talent, you know. In fact, so much my dad in that was so into jazz in that era, you know, uh, and he uh, brought a horrible surname, you know, so he put my name as being Graham Martin. So because he thought the Graham Martin trio sounded better than Graham Broad trio. Right. OK. <laughs> so I, I think it's I a fine put, surname. But like. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was never pushed to play, you know, yeah. in fact, I was you know, hugely encouraged to play, but never pushed to play. Yeah. You know? But yeah, so I started off playing, bashing around on things. Then I got a little kit and then I was sent to... Um, I think I was 13, something like that. I went to Morris Plackett originally, uh, who was, used to do hire company, but he was the BBC drummer, you know. Right. Yeah. And then he couldn't do it anymore, and he then got Lloyd Ryan in to do it. Yeah. And Lloyd was great, because at the same time, Phil Collins was there, you know, the same sort of era as me, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did Lloyd, which, you know, he was, oh, he's great. He was great, you know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I really didn't want to go. The first thing I said to my dad is, I, I want to go there, but I don't want to learn how to read. You yeah, know? yeah. And Lloyd was great at getting encouraging you to to look at it in a different way, you know. So I gradually learned how to read, you know. Yeah. Um, but then I got, then, then became a better reader than I was understanding playing even, you yeah. know, at that time. Because I then went to, 
Max Abrams, um, who fought, um, did um, Simon Phillips, people like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was really strict, seriously strict, you know. He, he was so he was so British that when I bought a Ludwig drum kit, he did not speak to me at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, it was the sin, you know. And he he just pointed out that you 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 just made a big mistake there, you know. <laughs> But I mean, my super classic serial number ninety nine was a little bit better than I thought. What the prim- premier kit was, you know, oh. with the mother of pearl kind of look about it, you know, the Beatles look, you know. Do you still so, have that uh, kit? Do you still have it? Yeah, still. You I do. have. Annoyingly enough, uh, and where I, I mean, lucky enough, I've got a, a big place to put everything, you know. But I've had kits, and I bought every kit, and I've never sold a kit yet. Really. You know? Yeah, not uh, many can say I've that. I tried to sell a kit. I've actually sold the one that I did, like all sort of things, like um, Bucks Fizz, ABC, Tina Turner, and all these sort of people, and uh, a har and all that lot. I had a, like a like a almost like a Phil Collins kit, concert kit, you know. Yeah, yeah sure. And um, it was very they're very distinctive sounds, you know. But mm. I because I played on that all the hits kind of thing. Um, I thought, well, eventually I'm going to get rid of it because I've, I've got a Tama deal now and the sort of things. So I don't need it, you know. Mm. So I did advertise it. The guy came round, you know, and as I, he started playing it, I kind of thought, Do you know what, I cannot get rid of this kit, you know. <laughs> so I said to him, how far have you come, you know? And he said, I've come from Kent. I said, look, I'm going to give you some money. Go around, buy yourself a breakfast, you know. And he said, I can't sell the kit, you know. <laughs> I said, but I'll pay for your petrol and the breakfast for you. And, and, and I just can't do it, you know. So obviously I didn't do it. Still got it, you know. How, how did that go down when you told him that? Was he all right? He, he actually seemed to be very happy about getting the breakfast for nothing. <laughs> no, he loved the kit. That's the problem was we spent obviously about half an hour him getting slightly annoyed, you know, but then saw the side of it, you know. Yeah. And I didn't want to say why at first, why that was, you know. And then eventually I said, look, you know, I, 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 you won't know me at all. And I said, because I'm just a session player, you know, and I was growing abroad. But I said, I played on blah, 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 blah with this kit, you know. And he said, oh, he said, yeah, I could see that. I could see it, you know. And he was quite happy, you know. Yeah. Hey, and the yeah. thing is, these concert Tom kits are, are right back in fashion again now. Yeah. yeah. You know, everyone's producing them and playing them. So yeah, right. uh, I, I, I Ah, you must have a hell of a lot of kits then if you've never sold anything. Yeah, annoyingly, annoyingly enough for my wife, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but lucky enough, I've got a place to put them, you know. Sure, sure. But I mean, quite sh- after doing the, the um, thing, I then was about 15 and a half. I left school um, to be, basically the first band was the Drifters, you know, because wow. they, yeah, they came they came over and they didn't have, they, they uh, it was a big union thing there where you had to have sort of English players and, American players, you know, some sort of, but, but the thing was that where we played at a residency in London, uh, we were an 11 piece band and the manager of that, uh, uh, at the time that was their place where they used to go down and drink. And he was down there, you know, this American guy and he saw the band and said, why do I want to bring over my American players when this band sounds great? And it's a band together. Yeah, you know? That's the that's the word. So isn't it, we band. ended up doing a load of stuff. You know, we ended up doing like Solomon Burke and all these sort of people. You know, and um, in fact, I was really lucky. I did some stuff with the Temptations on my own because the the drummer had got um, um, oh, I forgot, you know, Pentacitis, but something like that. He yeah. and, and during the gig, and we were the support. And then I ended up doing that, which was a, I loved it. You know, yeah, uh, what are when you're talking about the drifters, you're talking Benny King, I'd imagine. Yeah, Benny King. Yeah, so the, the proper yeah. the drifters. Yeah, the proper drifters. Yeah, not 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 the drifters from <laughs> the East End. <laughs> you know where they can go where they can put the name the original drifters. You yeah, know, as yeah, long as you put yeah. the original in front of it, or something in front of it or behind it, yeah. you can then be anybody. You know, absolutely. Yeah, like that. In fact, I did do one. There was a band that I did do. They were called the Fantastics. They were all American. They brought over, but. They were shocked when they was when people were booing them because they didn't think they were the Temptations. But on the front, it said it said the fan it said the Fantastic Temptations, you know, like this. But yeah. they put their name their names again. They thought it was the two bands, the Fantastics, <laughs> Temptations, you know. Okay. But realised they were going around doing a tour now as meant to be the Temptations, you know. Oh blimey! It didn't go down too well. Yeah. 
Now, Benny King was brilliant. Mm. Uh, he, he was such a cool guy, you know, uh, really placid, really warming kind of guy. And funny enough, I ended up doing stuff with him about just about two years before he died, you know. Right. And great. He was just still as good, you know. It's like the Solomon Burke thing. Solomon Burke was just stunningly good, you know. He's a big, I don't even know him, but he's I a do. big, large guy, you know. Yeah. In fact, he said to me, he's 360 pounds of love fat, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but he is so good, you know. But he sits in his throne, you know. Solomon and, Burke uh, actually wears my ring. That's Solomon Burke, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 A crybaby, all those sort of songs, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really good, you know. Yeah, so did the drifter did that sort of side of it? All that, that then then I ended up being in a band, you know, and the band's kind of thing never really worked, really, you know. I mean, it did. They were great bands. One was uh, Bandit, and one was uh, um, Grand Hotel, which almost became what Go West was. So oh, we were right. sort of an early stage of Go West. Grand yeah. Hotel was, yeah. Um, but it got this, you know, sort of band things where you all of a sudden you get the record deal. You're in the studio and the singer and the someone else thinks that they want to be stars more than anybody else. So they're gradually almost ditching the band out, you know, Yeah. even before you've got the album out, you know, <laughs> so it happened twice, you know, and it was so bitchy, you know, with management and everything. And I thought, I don't know, I just want to be on the other side of this now, you know, so I then heavily got into sessions, you know, yeah. um, and doing jingles so on and start. That's how I started. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the jingle writers in that era, ended up being, I mean, Andy Hill, who wrote tons of jingles because he was good at doing commercial songs, ended up being the Bucks Fizz guy, you know, yeah. and wrote everything for Bucks Fizz. Uh, did Celine Dion, you know, and all these sort of people and uh, Peter Satira out of uh, Chicago because he could write a, a great song, you know, because he had the commercialism of jingles, you know. I mean, jingles aren't like, they're different, they're different now, you know. Of course. They're not, they were hooky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, you know, a Mars a day helps you work rest to play and all these sort of things. They were just little hooks, you know. Yeah. Earworms, I think they call them, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the 80s, you were kind of like um the, 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 the British Hal Blaine, weren't you? You were there was kind of there was you, Charlie Morgan, would yeah. you say? You were kind of on everything at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we were really lucky. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a real, um, it's the time to be around, wasn't it, as a session player? It was like, a great time, great time. I'm really glad that I was in that year because it was literally, I mean, it was, it was a lot of times it was like three-hour sessions, so you'd be in Whitwood Street CBS, you know, and you'd be doing the martini jingle, you know, and it'd be 32-piece orchestra, and literally they have been booked in afterwards to do a rock and roll session, you know, then the whole place would be stripped, rock and roll would happen. Then it'd be the pop session, you know. So, it, and it, I was having, I had like three kits in different studios going around, you know. And then the great thing was that people then started to ask me, when I got a name, people were saying, ask me, what's the studio you love, you know, for getting the great drum sound. So it was perfect for me to go, right, Olympic, you know, you know, uh, May, May, uh, May, Mayfair, you know, studios. So and you pick your three studios yeah. and then run, keep your kits there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but then, I mean, I was, you know, do, as well as doing that, obviously then a lot of artists, all that, you know, when you played on the stuff, they wanted you to do Top of the Pops, you know. Sure. So, um, I mean, one time I ended up doing three people. No, what did I do? Four, four, well, I did three people, appeared with three people on Top of the Pops, but actually was on four songs because I used to song with dancers, you know. In, in one evening, in, in one show? In one show, yeah. Jeez, who were they? Can you yeah, remember? It, uh, well, I did Go West, I did ABC, uh, then I did um, Natasha England with the Ico Ico uh, song. Right. My grandma and your grandma, Zimbabwe. Yes, yes, yes. And then the other one was just Bucks Fizz, you know. Right. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. I'm not talking about it. No, the other one was the Tina Turner one. Uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah. So, uh yeah, obviously we didn't appear with her. She just had the, the movie, you know. Yeah. But, did, uh, did you play on that song? Yeah, I played on um, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, um, I Can't Stand the Rain, um, I don't need, You Don't Need Another Hero, and then, oh, and then that's that, that album. So half of Terry Britton's side of it I did. Um, and then on the next album, again, I, there was, uh, it was split. The album was split uh, with different producers. 
So I did the gain, all the stuff with Terry Britton, the gain on that yeah. one, you know. In fact, actually, that one, it was a bit of a strange one because that ended up having, we did the album, they did, the record company decided that they needed to have names on it. Although the album was all done, the second album, yeah, it, you don't have any names on there, you know. So they got people in like uh, Phil Collins to come down and do like a, a percussion or, or a Tom overdub or a Hyatt overdub, you know. Purely so to get the name on. Name on, yeah, yeah. So the name went on, you know, and we were then sort of ditched down the names, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's when you know, I mean people used to look at back of album covers and sell sell albums on people who's played on it, you know. Yeah, different era, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. so you played on. We don't need another hero. That's a hell of a big drum sounds in that one, isn't it? Yeah, that's a great. I mean, Terry was into all the sort of really old um, Al Greeny type of type of stuff. You know, yeah. you really didn't. Ever he didn't never really wanted you to pinpoint accents or anything. You just sit and groove. Yeah. You know, or it's all pretty thing. But then you do little things afterwards, or you did a one little thing. That was it. Don't want any more than that. You know, don't when you do the fill, don't play the symbol, you know, don't lead it in. I don't want any lead-ins, you know. Yeah. It's funny how you get used to people that their style of producing, you know, or writing, you know. You can almost write out the part before you, when you know the person, you can write out the part almost before you go there. Because, you know, like Go West loved never coming in on one. You'd always come in on two, you know, you, you have symbol height, you know, whatever. You know, you change it around a bit, you know. Yeah. There was all these different things, you know. But uh, definitely the Tina Turner thing was a bit of an experience because she was stunningly good. Yeah. Um, was she ever there when you were recording or was she? Was uh, she... Once I saw yeah. her did a porn, literally she was in and out. You know, and she was like a powerhouse in the uh, studio. She sort of like struts, you know, when she sings, you know, yeah, yeah. as she does on stage, really. Sure. You know? um, I, what, what, one of them, though, she, there was only one song she really struggled, struggled with. And I wasn't there for that, but she basically couldn't get to grips with it, you know. Um, but she, you know, and, and ended up, you know, she ended up doing it, obviously, you know, but, but otherwise it was always in there, in and out very quick, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a great era that, um, you know, that's, a, that's an era that won't come back. Yeah, you know, I can't ever see it coming back. You know, the amount, I mean, like a conveyor belt. When I was when I was kind of ten or eleven in eighty three, eighty four, I was heavily into the rock stuff. Into you know, I made an ACDC, and I used to um, I used to dismiss all of the pop stuff at the time. I was like, ah, rubbish, you know. And then as my sort of um, as my palate broadened, if you like, I used to listen to some of the stuff that was produced in the 80s. And I might not like the song, but you, you suddenly realise how, how great the musicians were that were involved in it, you know? Well, if you, if you, if you take the, um, uh, you know, because Bucks Fizz, people belittle Bucks Fizz in, in that era, you know? And I remember musicians, the Bucks Fizz, you know, bloody hell, you know? But then when we had to do the tape swaps, you know, for, for Top of the Pops, mm. Um, where you have to go down and play the track. I thought, well, these people that are sort of going bup, bup, bup about Bucks Fizz, I'll get them down to do the tracks, you know. Yeah. Get them down to do the tracks, and they've now had to learn it the day before and go, bloody hell, that's a ridiculously difficult part, you know. And it's changing. It's a bit like when I did the stuff with the Bee Gees. I thought Bee Gees was a pop song, you know, and it was just you'd sit there and you groove the song all the way through, you know, but it doesn't do that. It, it subtly changes every verse or you know and it doesn't it isn't it isn't normal standard structures as verse bridge chorus verse bridge chorus middle eight down you're off you know yeah. it has difference it's a bit like it's a bit like roger really roger waters you know you can't you can't not concentrate on that stuff when you're doing you know 17 minutes of a song that will subtly change twice only you know and in an odd place you are sitting there on the edge of your seat sometimes, but it sounds so simple, but it's so complex, everything, you know, and it has these little changes that makes the song sound fantastic, you know. I mean, the Bucks Fist stuff, I mean, Camera Never Lies, it's got all those these sort of starts and middle breaks of drum things, you know, with so like Land, Land Make Belief came out of uh, basically um, Andy Hill said to me, the songwriter producer said, uh, what, what sort of drum pan have you always read, wanted to play on a session? He says, because this is your chance, and you, this, you know, you can do it. I said, well, I've always loved doing sort of like reggae kind of thing, but doing it slightly different. So 
He said, so right, we'll just, we'll just work out first chorus, whatever. And just go mad in the middle eight, do whatever you like, solo, whatever you want to do, then go out, blah, blah, blah. You know, so started the... And that was the... You know, but it's like a great track underneath if you listen to it, you know. But I did. I was terrible for dismissing it, and and thankfully, uh, you know, as I got older and wiser, I I was like, do you know what? Listen to some of the. I'd like to bring up Wham because, um, although I was never really a, a massive fan, I used I used to listen back to the musicians, and it'd be like, Jesus, yeah. just, just listen it's, to it's this. Playing in that, yeah. I mean, that was that was really. I mean, I did their demos originally when when they were still still at school, you mm. know, mm. and um, I just vividly remember coming back to my wife and saying. Oh, there's this, this, <laughs> there's two kids, but there's this guy called George, the main singer. It's just going to be, he, I mean, he's a, at this minute, he's a sort of little tubby little short guy, you know, because he's still, they're still still at school, you know. And um, he then, um, you know, that, they then got the record deal, you know. I just said, oh, this, this, he, they're going to be huge, you know, not because of anybody else, but George, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first started doing the album, he hadn't written all the songs, and it was really odd because he could have sat that, that This was the year of the Lynn and the DMX drum. Yeah, he could have sat in that room and just had that playing away. But he wanted me to sit there and play, you know, as a real player. Mm. And it was like him and me for a couple of days, just 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 doing grooves, you know, just sort of doing idea while he just sat and played on the Juno sixty, you know, and wrote us some songs. It's fun, isn't it? Isn't Amazing. So, so yeah, but then you've got people like Dion Oestas that came in to play bass, and you know. There's some, some some great stuff on there, you know. And the thing is, it was all pre, um, uh, you know, Pro Tools. What you yeah. heard is the performance that that was played, isn't it? And, yeah. Uh, you, you, I mean, and some great songs on that first album, I might add. Did you did you play on the likes of Club Tropicana and things like that? Yeah, so, yeah, did all these uh, and, and, you know, Young Guns and all that lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was the sound, actually. That was done at um, Maison Rouge in uh, Fulham. And it had a great... Had a great drummer and, and, and actually there, you know, and uh, that's where Duran Duran did everything. And with, when they had um, Steve Ferrone in the band, you know, uh, in fact, I went down there one time. Steve said, "You've got to come down," you know. I, he said, "I'm here for about a year," you know. I said, "Oh yeah." He said, "Why is that?" He said, "Well, I'm doing Duran Duran," but he said, "They hardly here," you know. He said, "Come down. We've got this great drum room to, to, to have a little mess around," you know. So which we did, you know. <laughs> it's, it's quite funny, but you know, it was really good, you know. But it was a real, it was a real boom sort of period, wasn't it? You know, and you mentioned Go West, who I've always had a soft spot for. You and Pino in that band. Yeah. Did, did you tour with Go West as well? No, I was about to tour, but the um, that what actually happened was that all of a sudden I got the Tina Turner thing and things mm. like this, uh, and they had a bit of a dispute with the management, and and, and it was sort of getting all a bit sort of not not as though it was going to happen, you know. Yeah. So I just did like the um, TVs, live TVs, whatever, whatever they did, you know. Yeah. But I mean, the, album, the, the, the scenario of Go West is, is funny enough that when I mentioned the band earlier called uh, um, Grand Hotel, Grand Hotel sort of semi-discovered Go West a bit, you know, hmm. and they did demos with them. You know, this was I didn't do the demos then, you know. But then all of a sudden, um, part of Go West were there, and it was a bit like a Go West band, you know, yeah. um, a, a bit like a, a Grand Hotel band. Sorry, um, but um, it uh, we did it in the budget for the first album was something like twenty six thousand pounds to do it in this tiny little studio in, uh, in um, I think there was a studio there, in fact, Marcus. There was a studio called Marcus, there, and we were in the in in the one called. Rooster, this little studio, tiny little place, you know. Yeah. In fact, not much bigger than this room that I've right. got here. Yeah. Uh, and the whole album was done there, and it was just it was hugely exciting, you know. Um, and uh, then the second album came, and we were now over in Denmark using two studios, and the bill then was 600 grand. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So we went from 26 grand. They couldn't, get, they couldn't even get money to any more money to do so everybody was doing for well we were all doing for nothing because we loved the band you know yeah. uh, you know like sort of petrol money you know um but then uh you know it came to then the video yeah so they spent 26 grand on the thing and then on the video they spent a hundred and something you know which obviously made them you know it made the, the success be what it was you know god incredible just incredible i mean 
I mean, there mustn't have been a day when you had the radio on and you wouldn't hear yourself on five or six tracks. I guess that would have been just normal for you yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was funny. It's uh, the, fun, the funny thing is, is that you realise, you know, when you're in the studio and you're so picky about everybody's so picky about little bits, little bits. You know, you can never hear them on the radio. You know, all these hours that you've spent. I mean, when I worked with Trevor Orn, you know, uh, we did. Um, I think it was something like eight bars in a day, you know, uh, just get, getting this eight bars right, you know. And then then one time I'd gone back in and I've uh, gone back in to do percussion and he's listening to the tracks and he literally just turned around and put everything into record and just whacked or just cleaned it off, you know. And I said, that is really abrupt, you know. Yeah. He said, the reason for doing that is he said, all I've done on this song is that I keep changing things and the bed's not right, you know. So it, no matter, I could spend days, days and days. Now it's gone. I have to start again, you know, and get the bed right and then, yeah. then carry on from there. Build know. up from there, yeah. 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 Uh, but the other, the other thing as well in the session thing was so was the adventures, uh, you know, how people are adventurous about getting sounds. It's, I mean, it's so easy to just go on the computer now and, you know, get a sample of this, that, and the other, you know. Yeah. But we yeah. would, you know, people would be dialing up, like, through one effect to another, and effect where just when you just hit your foot on the floor, it now sounds like kind of sort of a boomerang or whatever. But it's gone through about six or seven different effects, you know. So you tend to get a lot of things that were different, you know, sure. and uh, experimenting, you know. Like, like, we, like, I used to have the snare drum, uh, like the snare, but I'd have another snare drum in... Um, uh, like a toilet and I'd get that little orotone speaker and then I'd put two drumsticks on the top of the snare drum, put the orotone, orotone speaker facing down and then record it. So you've got the, right. you know, it'd be, it'd be, so, so you could then put that in with your, instead of having the under snare, put yeah. your other snare drum in another room, you know, That's and, it, and then send the signal of your snare drum into that, which then makes the snare, the snares go even more, you know, than than it would if if you're just hitting it. You know, if you're trying to go for that real thick, you know, LA kind of thing sound. You know, well, I tell you what, if you've got the time and budget to experiment, then why not? That's you know, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, that's the problem. Now. There is no, but there's no budget. You know. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know? of course. I mean, the amount of money people wasted years ago was unbelievable. You know, <laughs> and studios are huge. About twenty more times expensive than what they are now. Yeah. Gosh. And then, of course, uh, Roger Waters uh, came about. How how did that come about, Graham? Well, that came back back in the eighties, actually. And uh, there was um, a guy called Ian Ritchie that was producing. So basically, Roger had all of a sudden split from Floyd, mm. and he was doing his solo album called Radio Chaos. Yes. And um, Ian Ritchie was co-producing with Roger. And Ian Ritchie had used me on different projects that he's had before, you know. Um, so uh, he said, look, you've got to get this guy down. I know I know this, 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 this other person you've always used, but this, he, he will be the guy for this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was the oddest session ever because I, I didn't know who he was. I know this sounds crazy, but I didn't know who Roger Waters was. You know? um, my wife used to take all the bookings because I was out working all the time. Sure. So she got the booking and said, look, this guy... He wants you to go down to his house in Sheen, you know. So I arrive at this whack and great big house, you know, and uh, I think to myself all the time, listen to, as I walk in there, there's there's no memorabilia of anything up at all. There's nothing. Up. No so clues. I've got no clue. I'm now thinking this guy is probably a hedges sort of guy, banker, that really wants to just get a little album together and think. But when you heard the song, you think to yourself, no, this is a little bit more than that, you know. It's a little bit sort of quality about this you know um eventually i then had to go to the toilet you know so walk into the toilet and it's laden full of letters you know and it's all pleading letters of oh gracious roger how your lyrics have helped me this much in for when you've written all the lyrics for dark side of the moon i went right Yeah. Oh, lovely. One other thing was that just say that to do this session was that we then um, we went. uh, He said, kept looking at his watch all the time, you know. And we hardly went and really played. I hadn't Mm. done anything, you know. And he's looking at his watch and he's going, 
should we have a break now and go down and watch a, mu- a movie? You know, and we went round down to this thing because he'd been doing the music for a movie and got a preview. We got a, a, a hired car, a big limo car came, picked us up and we're sitting there eating, drinking beer and eating our meal whilst watching his movie. We go back to the studio and said, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> so we, we'll finish it off tomorrow. Yeah, so we started with Radio Chaos, basically Radio Chaos did the whole tour. So that was 1980-something, you know. You played on the album as well. Yeah, I played on the album, yeah. It, I, I really like that album, I have to say. I think it's... It's so a great nice. album, isn't it? Oh, it's just, it's just such a... It's just, it's, yeah, it's just a feel, it's a, unsurprisingly a feel-good album, that one. Yeah. Because you know, some of the prog stuff can, you need to be in a certain mood to listen That's to right. it. That album I can listen to any time of the day and yeah. it puts a smile yeah. on my face, you know? Yeah, I mean that. That's that. I mean, I love. I mean, the tour was amazing. Tour, you know. Basically, it was it was a not to go on too long about it, but basically, it was um, a stage that was split in half. Mm-hmm. So above us was a DJ, and it was basically the tour it was the DJ's tour, yeah. and we were guests in his radio station. Right. Okay. So below was the room, and he ca- commanded to the room. So we didn't see him. He didn't. We didn't see. The vice versa round, you know. Sure. And um, uh, the very first person to come, that we got apparently in the, the beginning of the show, uh, we all get delayed, you know. And the only person that turns up is Paul Carrick, you know. And Paul Carrick goes on stage. So he said, well, "Well, while Paul's here, let's just, uh, you know, get him to sing a song." So he sings "Tempted" and all these sort of things, you know. And then the band arrive, we arrive, and we do the thing. But uh, during the song, uh, you know, because the, the album's doing with, um, you know, this guy that's got cerebral palsy takes over the radio station okay. and eventually that he can take over to destroy the world. And that's about the tour, you know, Perfect. so it was, it was a great idea, you know, and it should be, he should do that one again, you know, cause it's all his own stuff again. You know? It's great. I mean, I love Tidus turning. I think that's just a, a beautiful song, you know, with like the military. Yeah. Sort of, it's just beautiful, yeah, beautiful. Playing. Is, oh, I love you know, it. When we did the Berlin wall, um, which, which was the, when the wall came down. Yeah. Um, and that that was a, just a great atmosphere because that was our last song on that um, on that on that show. Yeah. But just looking out at the which was way like nearly a million people out there, you know, and it was just uh, it was huge the show. And anyway, it's too too big for its boots, really. You know, yeah. um, and it was like something like I think it was they said there was one thousand seven hundred people working backstage on it. You know, with the different people. Yeah, that's how big it was. Yeah. It was, it's, it, and it had, you know, there's cherry pickers in there. They had proper, great big artic, articulated lorries with different cranes on, sure. you know, to do puppets. Because, I mean, it was huge. It, 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 the, the wall went from one, like from East Germany into West, all in the Potsdamer Plash area. Yeah. Uh, yeah and it was like, yeah, that, 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 but the, the tide is turning just after all that, doing the album that we did, you know, yeah. doing the wall. Yeah. It was a great song, you know, it was real calming and beautiful. Great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, talk us through that gig. I mean, the excitement. I mean, I, I guess when you, you know, you've done lots of gigs to different amounts of people. When you get to something like that, the excitement must, you must get excited about a gig like that. Am I right? Yeah. Well, it, especially because um, everything is so strict and it's all done to film, you know, uh, you know, uh, graphics, you know. But years back, it was the film, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's course. down to graphics. Um with what when Roger starts to get to a project together, he's he's in his on his own with someone else. Yeah. But he's just putting on the CD of this of, of the tracks and they, they're now cutting everything to the CD. You yes. know? So when we have to then do the gig, we have to then link that up together. So I've got to give clicks to everybody mm-hmm. to make sure we're in time with the film, you know. Yeah. So sure. it's great when you sit there and you spend a month on this just putting clicks together and locking it all up together with the video and you're looking at it as well, what it's going to be. Because that's the only time you're ever going to see it. Sure. Because when you're playing it, you never see what's going on. Do you? you know, there's a bat as a, as a drummer or, or, or the rest of the band because it's all behind you, you know. Um, but what's great about that is, was that if, which, you know, God is clicked, you know, when you're on stage, you know, mm. especially when you're working with film, you know. But so um, if God went down and he didn't decide to click anymore, you could look at the film straight away because I knew it that well and go, right, I know where poppies are coming down, we're here, you know, and which then be, they get it all back together and we'd be back all right, you know, so it was, it, it was wow. quite... But, I mean, doing the gigs, you know, 
I got to the point of last lot when we did we did um, you know Buenos Aires and we did nine nights at the River Plate Stadium. That's seventy five thousand people consecutive nights. Wow! You then start to go, wow! You got to appreciate this, you know. Instead of you get into that thing of doing four years on the road of going, yeah, it's just great. It's another big gig, you know. But when you look at it, and then when we did their Mexico City. And we did those three. It's a great video. If anybody watches it, it's, it's about it's um, us doing pigs, and it's doing it's it's it's, it's, it's probably still on the Roger Waters uh, Facebook site, mm-hmm. but it shows you three hundred thousand people, and you as you looked out, they're all down. It's the main square, but they're all down the roads. You see, they're miles down the roads. You know, which they had um, delay towers so that everybody could sure. hear it. You know, but you then look, go on. They're going. That is a big gig. <laughs> Otherwise, you get wrapped up and always doing big gigs. You gradually sort of it gets a bit blase, you know. I think you know. It's it's a pressure gig, though, isn't it? It's not an easy. As it you is, say, it's, it's not four on the floor, is it? Let's be no, honest. It's a really strict gig. Roger watches that show every night, mm. and so even visually. So visually, if you saw the gig at the first part of the tour, by the end of the tour, it's totally different. He's mm. forever changing visuals, you know. Yeah. But he is refining your playing every minute. You know, when I first worked with him, which was Radio Chaos, yeah. you know, um, was that he'd we'd be on the plane, you know, and you'd go to go to your seat and he'd go, No, you're sitting here. You know? <laughs> right. So you'd sit there and out come his little book, you know, like this, you know. And he's got book, he's got something about everybody, you know. So out comes the book and goes, now, bar 62. In the middle of blah blah blah, I don't want you to do dee 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 dee. I want you to just go bing, bing, bing. Okay, right? And you get this whole list, you know, and you think he's never going to remember it on the night, is he? You know, so you think, but then you realise that every bit that he sat there with you with, he'll start walking over close to you, you know, and then it look and then give you a little bit of a look, going right, that's better. <laughs> I mean, even the poor flag bearers who were a crew, you know, on, on the ball, you know, they had come out and they hold the flag like this. There's about 10 of them that go on the on the platform up above, you know. But you'd hear Roger on the next day going, you're an inch below. You should be an inch <laughs> up higher, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, with that, it's, it's, it is a pristine show, you know. Um, it's just a phenomenal show to be with, you know. But a hard taskmaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. He knows. He knows what he wants. That's know. not a bad thing, though, is it? Really? No, it's rather, good. Would you rather that than the other way of just ah, whatever? You know. Well, in that situation with the, with that, and he's he's true. Actually, it's, it's basically you know. I mean, you start doing a tour. I mean, it's, it's 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 different. Different bands have different things, but but for him, you've got to be restricted and don't you know? As tour goes on, you. Start playing a bit different, you know. You start adding a bit. You start doing, you know. And he's forever pulling you back, going, "Now that doesn't need that," you know. And if it does need it, then he he goes, "I think we should look at this and sit there." And you sit there in sound check, and you go, "You know, why do you why do you think you should keep playing that?" You know. And you can give your idea, you know. And it's either batted down, or he goes, "That is a good idea," you know. Uh, Looks like "Welcome to the Machine" is one prime example. Welcome to the Machine never had drums on it at all. It's just going, dude, 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 this big low bass thing, you know. Welcome to the Machine. But I thought, this cries out for drums, you know. This cries out, like this sort of thing. And when I first played it, he went, oh, <laughs> no, 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 like that, you know. And I said, no, I said, give it, give it, you've never, because you've never heard it. I said, but give it a chance, you know, because it's new to you, you know. And he, there's always that as drums had to be in, you know. Yeah. And I thought a really great compliment for me was not that it was a compliment that I ever got complimented with, but obviously then I did go see the Floyd show after I know that they've been to see our show yeah, in sure. that era, you know. And all of a sudden, they're pl- <laughs> Nick's playing gut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, love you know, I've spent all of my life playing what he plays, you know. <laughs> Not that Roger ever wanted me to play what he plays, really. But, no, um, no. Yeah. 
Well, do you know, there's one thing I know you've got to go. There's one, one thing I'd like to ask you, and that is in time, you know, the Rototom part. Yeah. I, 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 it's a beautiful part to play, isn't it? And, yeah. and I, when I interviewed Nick um, a couple of months ago, I said, do you know the Rototom part? And he said, yeah. And I said, have you ever played that the same twice? And he sort of smiled and said, no. <laughs> he said, no. no. He said, much to the horror of any Pink Floyd tribute band out there. No, he said, there's no two recorded performances where it's the same. Are you, are you, is Roger a stickler for it being the same or have you, do you? With the Road to Tom thing, uh, not a stickler at all with that being, being the same. Mm. Um, that was how you kind of fancy. I, what I always did, though, is I must admit, I always started it, uh, having the same sort of flavour that Nick always did. Just yeah. a little thing. Yeah. A big uh, you know, but then I would then take it and gradually build it into my own thing, you know. Yeah. And a thing that I always did, different to anybody else, was because on the record, they've got the rototons and they've got instantly the drums then start playing, boo doo da doo doo yeah. you know. But the achievement is, is to get from your last fill, which is now over here, yeah. to get on your seat and do the doo 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 you know. So I'd be like spanning out, <laughs> like, like sort of like this. <laughs> and then getting on my seat, you know, which I love. I love doing, but I've noticed now that that that, that um, Nick never does that. I mean, he just sort of stops, and he just then gets on his seat, and then does do 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 do. Potter's over, but do, yeah. yeah, of course, when you your rototoms were, weren't really near the kit, were they? They weren't part of the kit as as no, such. It was a separate entity, wasn't it? Yeah. See, that's sort of, you know, I'm just trying to do the sort of uh, showbiz bit, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sort of excitement, but I mean. It's well as much as you can get the, you know, I was always, in a sense, hated as uh, a lot of people, you know, because they were so into Nick playing, mm. the Arden fans. But after 32 years, I got the thing of them going, yes, you know, because what we actually gradually got was kids. It's, it's all kids now. It's all like 20-year-olds coming to see it. I know you've got the old school people yeah. coming that probably still don't like you, you know. You know, because you, you can't replace someone, really, you know. But the kids love you, you know. I mean, all the South Americans and the Italians and people like that seem to love the way you play, you know, which is quite nice instead of being sort of, uh, oh, God, no. I mean, what, what sometimes you've got, you see the audience, the hardened fans, you see the audience go to do the drum fill, you know. <laughs> and then you think, no, I'm not going to play that one, you know. Oh, do different, you know? Well, look, Graham, I know you've got to go. Uh, I can, honestly, this is this this has gone so quickly. We've I don't know, almost an hour gone already. Um, it's, yeah, it feels like five minutes. It really does. So may, maybe we could do a part two to this one. If, if, if yeah, if it's hard to it. cram your life your life into it. Really you know, is. But look, yeah. thanks for your time. Honestly, yeah, thanks a lot, Matty. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely fascinating. Thanks very much, and uh, hopefully get to see you soon. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Matty. Thanks, mate.